Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for creative Xanthi Berkeley. Instagram definitely has been the biggest change for me in terms of being able to get my work out there and get it seen by people. But ever since I've had Instagram, it's been a way of documenting, but also a way of sharing work that I want to do more of. That's what I love about being freelance. Every week is different, and I love that variety. I, I wouldn't want that to change and to just pick one thing. I am a big believer in personal projects. I do make time for those. I don't kind of want to get to the end of my life and be like, well, where's the videos of the pictures of what I was doing? So there is Xanthi, who is based in London. You may know her from her very colourful presence on Instagram, but you may not, in which case you're about to be introduced to it. For all of our guests, we put notes at beingfreelance.com and links through to what they get up to. And I tell you what, if you particularly enjoy something that somebody said or whatever, it's always nice to tag them in on a tweet or on Instagram or whatever. So you'll find those social handles at beingfreelance.com. Also there, we have articles. We've got the videos where I document my own freelance journey. I would love it if you check that out. And the community, which is proving to be a lot of fun and also really helping people out if you're not part of that already there's a link at beingfreelance.com so you can find out more about that to boot coming up very soon we're going to be doing the podcast live in manchester in the uk if you're in the north of england if you're around that area because previously we've only ever done it in london it's pretty exciting, actually, to to be. I love Manchester. To be heading north, it is an Ipsy event, IPSE. There's details in the events section at beingfreelance.com, but it is on Wednesday, the sixth of March. It is free. There's like a keynote speaker about growing your freelance business, and then there's a chat where I'm chatting to Kelly Gilmore Grassam and Elise Dobson about their freelance businesses. So yeah, come join us in Manchester, and there's also details about the London event, also in the. Event event section of beingfreelance.com. Right, that's enough from me. Let's crack on, shall we? And hear from freelance creative Xanthi Berkeley. Hey, Xanthi. Hello, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to this. You clearly do many, many things. But where did you get started? How, how did you get started being freelance? Well, it goes way back, I guess, in terms of my creative career, because I was at art college and then I worked in various different types of businesses, worked in the music business, worked in sort of art department, all sorts of stuff. And then I had my family and enjoyed being a stay-at-home mum and we lived abroad and just was raising my boys. But the one thing that was kind of consistent throughout all of that was um, taking photos and documenting my life. So once the boys kind of started school, it was like, well, what am I going to do now? And the thought of going back and working in an office like I'd done in my 20s wasn't really appealing. But I'd been still taking lots of pictures and really enjoying that side of things. And it was sort of my discovery of this online world that made me realize that maybe maybe I could do something creative. I just wasn't kind of sure what. But it was sort of 2009 when blogs were starting to happen. 
so I kind of discovered Flickr and that just opened my eyes to a whole new world really and um, started sharing my pictures there and discovering like a community of people that were kind of doing what I was doing documenting my life and taking pictures of my children and that kind of thing and saw that people were starting to make a sort of business out of it and, and getting work from it and that kind of really sort of ignited something in me so it kind of began from there I think Flickr I, I definitely owe a lot to Flickr in those those early days for sure and discovering different blogs and and just still creating and documenting Interesting. But that's a lovely hobby to keep you occupied while the kids are at school, you know, and to make you fulfilled creatively and stuff. How did you start to make a living from it? Yeah, well, absolutely. That's it. It's like suddenly you've got this hobby and you think, well, okay, well, how can I do it? So I loved photographing families and and children, but it was not really a sort of a big thing here in the UK. And and it's still the market still isn't massive in in my opinion. It's not like in America where they seem to document and photograph every stage in in a child's life or a family's life. But the one thing that was really booming was was wedding photography, and and people always need a photographer at a wedding. So I started photographing weddings, just thinking that that was the only thing that I could do, really. And whilst I enjoyed it, and I did a couple of years of wedding photography, I just kind of felt it wasn't really me. And I much preferred the uh, family side of it. So I kind of still pursued that photograph friends, families to build a portfolio. And then, you know, built my website and started sharing things on, on Flickr and, and then eventually Instagram and, and started getting people asking, will you come and photograph my family? So that kind of is where it all, I guess, started when I launched my business, doing wedding photography and family f- photography. But it's since evolved again as, as it does, as the tools become available. And, and so like something like Instagram has definitely changed my photography career in terms of giving me a platform to reach different people and do more lifestyle photography or photography for brands and things like that. But I was also making little videos of my family and my children and just our sort of day to day. And this was before YouTube had, you know, all these content creators all vlogging and sharing their day to day. It kind of felt, I guess, in my little pocket of the internet, it didn't feel like lots of people were doing that. And I would get lots of questions about how are you doing that? What are you editing it on? You know, why are you shooting in that way? What are you doing? And that kind of ignited the idea to to start a course, an online course to get people shooting their own little videos. So I started doing that in 2011 and launched my first e-course. Again, it was back then where there there weren't loads of e-courses like there are now. And in fact, there wasn't even a platform to host the e-course I kind of had to create a secret blog inside my blog to host it for people to access the content so yeah sorry I got kind of a bit diverted there off the photography but it's just everything kind of all links into one that often you you start doing one thing and it and it leads to another and that leads to another there is so much to kind of unpack in there it feels like quite an instrumental thing sure there was Flickr but was Instagram Yeah, Instagram definitely has been the biggest change for me in terms of being able to get my work out there and get it seen by people. And then also sort of drive the type of content that I create in terms of then getting work for it. So for ever since I've had Instagram, it's been a way of documenting my life. I've always used it as a kind of diary, 
but also a way of sharing work that I want to do more of. So, you know, putting my films on there as a way to inspire other people to create their own videos or maybe take my classes if they want a little bit of help or to reach out to different brands or businesses that might go, oh, we love what you've done there. Could you make something like that for us? And that's really what's happened in the last five years with Instagram. It's been it's been a massive tool for myself and, and hundreds of other people in terms of exposure and, and getting your work out there and being able to decide what you want to share with a view to then doing more of that type of work. Were you having to put in like a daily effort? Seems like the wrong word because it sounds like you clearly really enjoy being on there. But you know what I mean? Like in order to grow on Instagram, what were you having to do? Well, I've always seen Instagram as, as I said, as a diary. So for me, it was always about, oh, well, I'm just sharing what I'm doing and being not necessarily strategic about it in terms of the photo or what I'm posting, but just thinking, well, look, if, if I want to do photograph more families, then either I show more family pictures of my own family or families that I'm working with, or if I want to do some stuff with brands or work with businesses, then how can I create content that might appeal to them and they could then see their products in that picture or in that video or what have you. So in terms of growing on Instagram, it was just the fact that you showed up every day because you treated it like a diary way before stories. You you were just posting great photos of your family and stuff on there every day. Yeah, it was just it's just daily documenting. And that's what I think makes you it makes you show up every day. Absolutely. And that consistency is is a great tool to have in terms of when you're trying to build up a following or a reputation or even just a body of work. You know, I'm a big believer in in personal projects and setting yourself goals and challenges and having somewhere to put it. So initially it was my blog or on Flickr and then Instagram just made it much easier because you can do it all on your phone and it's pretty straightforward. So yeah, that consistency has been a great learning tool for me in terms of my work ethic, as it were. So at what point did brands, you made it sound like they reached out to you rather than the other way around? Well, there was a point where I was sort of creating stuff and I knew that once Instagram introduced video into the platform, I knew that video was going to be big. So obviously it was already happening in terms of YouTube and what have you, but I knew that that was going to be a big thing. So I just started creating more video content. I was already doing it, but I was sharing it on Vimeo and YouTube. So being able to create something. So I started my weekend films, which I still make now, but obviously I had to just get them down into 15 seconds. And that was a really fun challenge. And then in terms of reaching or working with brands, I started creating stop motions because I knew well, I just had a feeling that that again was going to be a great video content for brands to use so I started to build a relationship with a clothing brand Bowden and I just said to them look hey do you want to you know send me some products and I'll I'll create something fun with them because I'd been doing it with sort of leaves and flowers and things that I had around my house but I started thinking well this would be great with shoes or sunglasses or handbags so I started to build a relationship with them and by them sharing the work and crediting me, which was very nice of them, I would then get other brands reaching out to me and then also putting them on my own feed. So again, if I just did something with flowers or did something with bits and bobs I have around my house, other brands could think about their products being sort of displayed in the same, in the same way. 
So you reached out to Bowdoin, first of all, and said, how about something like this? Did you know anyone there? Because some, somebody will be listening to this going, what do you mean you just reached out to Bowdoin? Did you know anyone there? And was it the only company? No. Well, they were like the one company I really wanted to work with. And we started building up a relationship. Anyway, I think they discovered me because obviously my feed is very colourful and they were like, look, can we send you some things? And, you know, it was very early days in terms of influencers. Like it wasn't, I don't think we were even called influencers then. And so they'd reached out to me initially through the colourful content that I was sharing. And it was then that I made the connection between, well, I could do some stop motion stuff. And um, yeah, I know it's kind of feels a bit unreal, but it was like that in the in the earlier days of brands being on Instagram. It's, it's very different now, but I still believe that smaller brands will reach out to content creators to see if, if they want to create stuff with their products. Yeah. How is it different now then? I just think there's there's so many more people so it's just the volume of people either creating the content and all the brands are on there now whereas I think that you know initially there weren't as many brands on Instagram like there are now and so yeah it just feels it's just a different feeling and I guess maybe the procedure of contacting brands is slightly different to how it was then. How did you find dealing with the business side in that shift in relationship so you've gone from doing you know the wedding and family photos very much for consumers to suddenly working with a brand it's different and I I feel like I often don't come with any experience so I just kind of figure things out and learn along the way and so that's in terms of pricing what should you price for things do they have any budget and just in terms of being professional and emailing and being polite and you know I still do this now where I try and meet with clients rather than just have an email relationship so if I'm starting if someone inquires I'll try and go meet them for a coffee just because I think people they trust you as a person and so I always try and build that connection if I can and that would have that I would have done that straight away working with brands is build that connection so they they trust you and they understand you so you have a very diverse income now but it's great that it sounds like it all sort of evolved as in people went oh how do you make a video like that and then you went I know I mean 2011 to go making a course is 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 like seeing something and it's brilliant and again with the stop motion which then became such a trend so before we could all do it within our phones uh, which must make you go ah (laughs) no I think it's great I'm I'm a I'm a big believer in like make it easy like don't like if it can be easy to create it do it you know and the phone apps are brilliant so I'm always teaching people how to do it stop motion is so simple it's not you don't actually need a great amount of skill in terms of actually shooting it and putting it together I think the skill comes in the creativity or how you're laying it out or the setup or what have you but I think the actual technical side of it isn't is not that tricky what makes up the biggest chunk of you like your income today like and how has that shifted I think it's quite evenly split actually so I still I still photograph families I don't generally advertise that that much because also something's shifted in in family photography for me is that probably 50% of the clients that I do photograph ask for their pictures not to be shared online which obviously is a marketing hindrance for me because if you want more work you need to be sharing the work you're doing So I still do family photography, my work with brands, that's probably 50% of my income. And then my courses as well. So I have various different online courses, teaching, video making and 
film creation and, and stuff like that. So it's a real split and that also splits my time. But that's what I love about being freelance is every week is different. You know, one week I'll be on a shoot for a clothing brand, then then that Saturday I'll be photographing a family and then maybe I'll have a week at home where I'm just doing emails or creating stop motion content here in my home studio. And I love that variety. I, I wouldn't want that to change and, and to just pick one thing. You know, I get asked that. It's like, could you, could you pick just one thing? And it's a bit like picking your favourite child. You couldn't do that, could you? Well, <laughs> no, no, of course not. Uh, so in, in that downtime where there aren't people coming to you and, you know, giving you money to do something, you fill it with your own, other than business admin, with like your own personal projects. I do. I mean, you know, Steve, when is there ever any downtime? Let's be honest. <laughs> we make it like that for ourselves. It's an interesting thing in itself, though. Like, yeah, do you not feel like you have downtime? I don't feel like the to-do list is ever done. And I used to battle with that. And now I'm just like, well, that's just how it is. You can always refresh your website and you can always get your accounts up to date and you can always meet that deadline. And there's always something to do. And knowing that you can't always get it done is is okay as well obviously the client deadlines are the priority but the website refresh okay that will have to wait until next week or what have you so I am a big believer in personal projects I do make time for those because otherwise I really would just shoot content for other people I don't kind of want to get to the end of my life and be like well where's where's the videos of all the pictures of what I was doing so I, I do make that a real priority and also I know from experience that side projects or personal projects have actually always helped my business so in terms of nourishing my creativity and sparking more ideas helping my portfolio or even leading to work so I've had so many times where brands have gone oh we love what you did here can you create that for us and I would never have created that had I not done a sort of personal project myself. So, I, yeah, big believer in making time to to shoot for yourself if if you can or create for yourself. Yeah. And, and you mentioned challenges as well. Yeah. So I kind of have done, you know, 365 projects where you take a photo a day or I um, have done weekly projects or a hashtag joined in with a hashtag project is obviously the things you can do on Instagram and those types of things just push you to create in a different way that you might not have thought of or, or offer a prompt that is different to, to something you've shot before and, and it might just open your eyes to something else so yeah the hashtag projects on Instagram are really fun or I did last year I did a hundred day project which is a sort of global project where you pick something to do every day for a hundred days and even though what I picked wasn't a creative thing it then led to something creative. So I like that sort of deadline or that challenge. It kind of drives me to to create and do it rather than just go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to take a picture tomorrow and a picture the next day. If you're like, no, no, I'm going to take a picture every day for a year. That's that's really good. Yeah, that's true. It's almost like being given a brief and a deadline by a client, except that it's you. Yeah, absolutely. And when I did my, I did a 365 project, I think it's in 2010 or 2009, 2010, it was before Instagram where it's actually fairly easy now to take a picture every day. I did it on Flickr where you have to upload your picture and edit it and then you know, put it up onto Flickr. So it was a slightly bigger deal. Back in the old days, they don't know how easy they've got no, it. I know, exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned like the 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 color and everything that that brands were drawn to. Did you have your branding like professionally done, did, or do you like to do everything yourself? So for the first few years, I did everything myself. I built my own blog and did my own logos and all of that. And actually, even the header I did myself. But I have, in the last couple of years, got a developer to help me put my website together because I just I just wanted something that was very me. And whilst it is still a template, by just being able to tweak, have a developer tweak different things, it can just make it more personalised. Because I think now, you know, the internet is just full of stuff and some things look quite similar and I just wanted to try and be a little bit different I, I don't know if it really is but to me it feels very me and and so so she helped me with that so you do teaching online do you do teaching in person I do do yeah if people ask me to I have tried organizing my own workshops and it's it's a quite a lot of work and not something that I enjoy that kind of side of it so if someone invites me to come and teach at their event where they've organize the lunch and they've emailed the tickets and done all of that then I'll do that I've done little stop motion workshops just shooting on the phone or video walks or or getting people to to make a video in 90 minutes you know go and shoot something and edit it straight away so I've done that a few times and that's really fun you know getting opening people's eyes to video I love doing because a lot of people have a big kind of block with it and think it's big and scary and actually now we have these phones which are just amazing devices you can do it all on your phone it's incredible and obviously that might not be how you then want to carry on making videos but what you need is that spark to make you realize it's not too difficult um, and and get the ideas flowing and the phone I think is brilliant for that yeah so video walks did you say yeah yeah so getting a group of people together so like a photo walk I do those as well so you just go and you know, walk around a few streets and, and take some pictures, but with video as well. So getting people to try different shots and angles, because a lot of people, when they start shooting video, the same with when they start taking photos is that they just shoot from eye level and everything is just shot at that angle. Whereas, yeah, getting them to do a video walk to so get them to shoot a wide shot or close ups or shoot along the floor or try panning and that kind of thing. And videoing each other as well is quite fun doing little boomerangs or trying a little time lapse and then sitting with them and, and getting them to edit it together. So that's great. So that means with the video walks, you get that sort of that human interaction because it's obviously something you like with going in and meeting people, but it can get quite lonely otherwise sometimes. Yeah, although I really, I try to, to not make it lonely. So I luckily I get kind of invited to events or I have quite a good network of people that I've met through Instagram or through online work that I've done and so try and meet up with them go out for lunch or you know I try and work my working week like I would if I was in an office in terms of well we might go out for lunch one day or we might go to an event one evening so I try and do that so I don't I don't ever feel really lonely I feel like there's always something happening that week that will keep me social or connected. When you go to events do you do speaking? I have done a few public speaking. I've, I spoke at Blogtacular. I heard you interviewing Kat. 
So I, I, I've spoken a few times at her event and I love that event because it's my kind of community. So I feel very supported there when I, when I talk, whereas I've spoken at other events where people don't know me or they haven't heard of me before. And that is a little bit more daunting. And so I tend to veer away from that now and just stick to communities where I kind of, again, feel that support or that connection or people who get what I do. And I mean, you mentioned that you love taking video of your family. You want to see that at the end, at the end of life. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> but, but it's a very good point. I often think oh, I take all this video of myself. I look back and think, I'm sure I had some kids somewhere. <laughs> but no, but it's lovely. Your your family, your children who have grown up now. How old are they now? Well, they're 14 and 17, so they're still around, but they're just not around as much, which is why they don't feature as much in my work. How have you found the work-life balance of the past 10 years being freelance? For me, the, the, I make films for me to look back on in years to come. The fact that I share them online to then inspire other people is sort of secondary to it. So my kids kind of get that. They understand that it's precious to me, but they also know that it's part of my business. So they're happy to comply not always but you know they're pretty much happy to be part of what we're doing or what I'm filming but as they've gotten older they're just off doing their own thing so they're often not around so there has been a shift in the last year or two where my weekend films or my daily films center more around me so yeah watching your vlogs it's the same it's you going to work and doing that and and mine has kind of come a bit like that but as for the work-life balance it's just a complete myth isn't it I'm always juggling and you know being a parent is different now to when they were little obviously my time was taken up with them but there are other challenges that teenagers bring and at the moment you know sometimes work is more important and other times you're like well no, actually I need to be with my family and, and do stuff with them so but what I feel like I've managed to create is where actually they're very interlinked so my creativity my making my films or shooting for Instagram or what have you is part of my life really so in that sense there's a balance there where they're very integrated but the balance of being able to get everything right is no, I don't agree that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that, though. What you just said there is a bit like, I think it was Jason Resnick who's, who sort of saw it more like a mesh where you're kind of like bringing them together rather than trying to split them all the time. Yeah, I think so. You know, we go to the, you know, for example, like on a Saturday, we might go to a market and I genuinely love going to the market because I love the food and my husband loves it there and we like the vibe. But also it's great you know video content or to take some pictures or it all works all works together what would you say have, has been the biggest challenge for you or challenges I think sometimes that you just have to trust that things are going to be okay or or work out because sometimes you know you can have a quiet week where no emails come in and no one signs up to my course or and just being able to know that you can embrace the uncertainty because all it takes is that one email to come in and that can change your month, you know? So just being able to trust in that is quite a hard thing I've had to, to teach myself, but I do, I do it now and I just kind of go, okay, it's going to be okay. We're going to, we're going to figure this out and something's going to turn up or a few people are going to sign up to my course and, and that will make this month be a little bit smoother. So yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Like your clients they really do come to you just through be it word of mouth or through the content you create as in you don't do anything else 
it has been that way, which is very, very fortunate. And I am very grateful for that, that yes, clients have found me either through work I've done for other clients, or they've seen stuff I've done. And often that's the beginning of an email from someone that's like, oh, we follow you on Instagram. We love what you do. Can we meet you or can we chat with you? And that's really great. And often I deal directly with brands rather than through an agency that liaises. I do do that sometimes, but I prefer dealing directly with brands and dealing directly with the social media team or the production team and, and getting to understand them and see what they want and, and build up those relationships. Now, I always do this thing where... I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me, Xanthi? Okay, this was very tricky, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so um, I won a photography competition for a trip to go to New York for my family to be photographed by Steve McCurry. I was the chili eating champion of Koh Panyang when I lived in Thailand in 2002. And I used to read the news on a radio station. Oh, these are... What? I mean... I can't tell you how this has kept me awake at night. Radio station. Right, okay. I mean, you do. You have a lovely voice. But did you read the... But that said, you do laugh a lot. And you've got to be very... <laughs> there you go again. You've got, <laughs> you've got to be very straight reading the news. Could you hold that together? Chili eating champion. So where where did you live? Uh, so we lived in Koh Samui for a couple of years when my eldest son was a baby. And we used to visit Koh Penyang quite a lot because it was a kind of mellow vibe island. But they had this competition. But I'd got quite proficient at eating chilies, obviously, living there. And, yeah, I was able to smash all the other tourists with my chili eating yeah okay so this now my red flag there was the fact that i thought well hang on that's a place where lots of people might eat that sort of food and so actually how did you beat them but actually it was against other tourists and your residency there for a little bit gave you an advantage so that could be possible what what do you get when you win that oh just the prestige of it (laughs) And a glass of water. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You must have rice when you're, when you're eating chili to calm it down. Oh, oh, you see, that sounded like a professional tactic. Okay. Photography competition. No, you'll forgive me, but I'm presuming that's like some famous photographer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a big photographer. So did you actually get to go to New York? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I haven't entered that many competitions, but I kind of had a feeling that I, was, that I really wanted to win this because I just wanted to take my family to New York. And part of the deal was that you you got photographed by Steve McCurry. And yeah, so we did that a good few years ago. The boys were much younger. But yeah, we got this all expenses paid trip to New York, which was fantastic. You see, now I used to think that nobody ever won these things. But we've no. we've had a few guests on now who have won. And I'm starting to think I'm an idiot for not entering. Okay. We've got to choose the right competitions. So this was one, I had this picture that I'd taken of, of me and my boys and I was like, this could be it. And so you've got to, you've got to know and you've got to believe that you're going to win it. <laughs> and then you were on a radio station. So were you like a journalist? Well, it was hospital radio and it was when I was doing my A-levels and then my first year of art college, we carried on doing it. And it was with friends and... And it was really fun, really fun. You know, kind of back when it was sort of Steve Wright in the afternoon sort of group. There was I read the news, my friend did the sport, and another friend 
was the DJ. I see. I was about to say it wasn't true until you said hospital radio, which... <laughs> which is way more plausible. <laughs> yeah. Frankly, if it was... Yeah. Hospital radio, student radio, way more plausible. I don't know now. I was going to say it was the... I was going to say it was the radio news. The way you said how you won the photography thing makes me think that's true. Chili eating champion, I kind of... I'm still going to say you never read the news on the radio. <laughs> I did. I did hospital radio <gasps> for two years. <laughs> and you're right, I do laugh a lot. And it was very hard to read the news and not laugh. But no, I did not win the chili eating competition. Oh. And in fact, I find chili, yeah, I'm a real wuss when it comes to chili eating. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Well, you're a very good liar. I was to <laughs> totally sucked into that. Well done. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Probably to launch and learn. Don't wait for the right conditions to do something. Like, just go for it and kind of figure it out along the way. I think sometimes we think we need to be super prepared and have all our ducks lined up. But actually, you can just go for it and try things out and, and yeah, figure it out as you go along. That's what I've kind of done. And so far, it's been okay. Launch and learn. It sounds like we've just written the title for this episode. That is great. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's not, it's definitely not my um, quote. It's definitely something that is out there in the, in the world. But yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, that's nice. Because it does sound like you... And, and this is great, given how much social media constantly evolves, is that you always, from very early on in this story, seem to be thinking of the next thing and trying things out and seeing things. Yeah, just experimenting and maybe not even being that strategic about it, but just doing what I love and knowing that the right people will find it, you know, or figuring things out. Like with the launching my e-course, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that I had something I could share with people. So it was it was doing it that way. And, and the same with working with clients or, you know, just I didn't learn any of that at school or at, at college. So, you, yeah, you just figure it out as you go along. And you said earlier that you are one for goals. Is that like on a, a yearly basis, on a monthly basis? Like how, how do you use goals? Well, I kind of set intentions. So I'm a big believer in, in writing things down and, and making a list of things that you want to achieve or you want to do better at or learn or what have you. So, yeah, I, I do try and do that. I'm not strictly you know, like January, I write my goals. I actually find January quite a hard month in terms of staying motivated off the back of Christmas and it's often quite a quiet month. So I prefer the springtime. That's kind of a good time or the or September, that sort of back to school vibe and just sort of reassess what you've done, look back at what you've achieved and what you've enjoyed doing and then set some intentions for how you want to move forward, whether that's in your business or in your personal life. I think it's good to kind of have have an idea of what you want to do and dream big. You know, as a Brit, we tend to be a bit sort of cynical about that. Woo-woo, you know, set a goal and dream really big and you can make it happen. But it really does work. Like that sort of putting it out into the universe or putting it down onto the page has definitely worked for me. So I'm going to keep on doing it. 
Xanthi, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. Uh, you will find over 150 episodes, maybe over 160. I've lost count. Go take a look. And remember, it doesn't matter what they do job-wise. It's all about the being freelance. You've got the videos as well and also the articles. And join the community. Come join us now for a new community. A link through at beingfreelance.com. And on the website, as ever, for all of our guests, you will find links through. And I hugely recommend you go through and see what Xanthi is up to. You'll find links to her website that we talked about, but also Instagram in particular. Go have a look. Check out her videos. See, see what we've been talking about. If you've not already, I hugely recommend all at beingfreelance.com. But Xanthi, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.